The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning. As Tyler mentioned, my name is Susan Mayfield. Uh, My family and I have been attending Story City since we were pregnant with our eldest, uh, and I currently serve with Women's Ministry. So today's scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 1 through 6. I'll be reading from ESV. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is the word of the Lord. We can clap for her. That's okay. Yeah, good job. You guys have no idea how scary you are from this way. It's easy when you're staring at the back of somebody's head, but it's scary to stand up here. So great job this morning. Thank you. For all of the readers we've had so far, we, um, we deeply appreciate it. Thank you for being so faithful to read God's word. We take a high view of God's word here, and so we appreciate the, uh, uh, the volunteering. We also love it when uh, we've had those of you who have been able to um, translate God's word into other languages because uh, we think that is clearly the heart of God. I think that is a representation of the city of L.A. Uh, it's clearly Burbank, and so we are, we are very glad when we can... Um, just remind ourselves that we are a small part of the larger kingdom, a small part of the larger family of God, and that's one small way for us to do it. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Burbank campus of Story City Church. Uh, my name is Jared Ossalier, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether you're joining us online or in person here at Pickwick. I say the Burbank campus because we do have a Granada Hills campus, and even though Due to COVID, we are all meeting together, either online or in person here. Uh, We are a collection of churches as one family. And uh, our mission is to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and each other. We do that in several different ways. But one of the ways we do that is by raising up and sending out church planters. We believe God has called us to be a church that plants other churches We believe that God has called us to help revitalize dying churches. We've seen that with the Granada Hills campus. And loving and partnering with other expressions of God's kingdom in the city. Story City is not the only godly, wonderful church in the city. There are many, many, many godly churches meeting all across the city this morning. And we stand with them as their brothers and sisters. We love them and we're thankful that God is using them in the same ways that we hope he is using us. And so we look forward to continuing to partner with with, again, other expressions of God's kingdom in this city. We do all of this not so that Story City will have a big name or that we become a big church. That's not what's important to us. I'm not trying to get on the speaking circuit. I'm not trying to grow big so that somebody will come out and notice me as a person I really could care less. We do all of this because we want the opportunity to model healthy relationships with Jesus and others all across the city. We want people to have the opportunity to know and see what it looks like to be healthy apprentices of Jesus. We think that more and more neighborhoods need to feel the love of Jesus. I've talked about this before, but so often the church, we have uh, forgotten that we already have a mouthpiece. It's Jesus. And we need to more and more be the hands and feet of Jesus and less and less be the mouth and let him do the speaking and us do the acting. And so as, as a church, 
we want to continue to model what it looks like to love Jesus and to love people. And the more we do that, the more opportunities we do that. I believe God is calling us to more and more neighborhoods to do that in healthy ways. And so I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. And we're about to get into our message for the day, but before we do, I've got a question for you. And, and I'd kind of like you to, to chew on the, I give you permission if you need to, just, just to think about this question during the, the service. Write it down on your note page if you want, because I'm really hoping that this goes beyond today, that you really wrestle with this question all week. And so here's the question I want to put in the back of your mind. You ready? The question is, what do you want most in life? What do you want most in life? Now, this is a question that we can, in some ways we can kind of cheat and we can make it a quick answer. We can take it surface level or we can really ponder it and go deep. And I'm hoping that the latter is what you'll do. I'm hoping that this actually encourages other questions for you, that this is a, a question that, that really kind of stirs our heart, that it just kind of sits there and kind of bugs us a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Those questions that you just, when you're trying to figure out who played in that movie and I can't quite put my name on that, that's the one, right? Or what's the name of that song I can't figure out? That's kind of how I want this question to be for us today. What do you personally want most in your life? And so I want us to wrestle through that a little bit today. Now today we're focusing on verse six of Jesus's sermon. Uh, and I want to remind us that, that I believe that this entire sermon series builds on itself. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount, as we go through this, that I believe Jesus said what he said in the order that he did because it all relates to each other. And so if we want to understand how this all applies to us, we have to start at the beginning, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is to be followers of Jesus, we must realize that we can't do it on our own. That's being poor in spirit, that we're truly sinful, even in our best efforts and good attempts. And that should make us mourn our situation because when we truly realize how helpless and how hopeless we are, it brings a sense of what can possibly be done. But, but that also pushes us to a deep compassion for the people around us because we realize that they also are just as hopeless and helpless as us. We then realize to live out the sermon that we can't drag around the things we think validate us or make us approved before God and people because those things are worthless in God's kingdom. We also need to stop carrying around the baggage we think we deserve out of guilt for our hurts, habits, and hangups. And so we must become meek, meaning that we don't own anything spiritually good or bad, that God is our provider, that he is the one that has forgiven us for those bad things, that he has paid for that, and he's the one that actually supplies our righteousness and so he is what we need for our goodness. We simply trust and follow him for our needs like children dependent on their parents. And so today the focus shifts a little bit in Jesus' sermon slightly to a little bit more practical approach. It's a little bit more how we live these things out. Um, although we'll find that it really isn't due to our efforts anyway. And so, so far we've learned the kind of people we're becoming and now we see the path to get there in verse six. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that we haven't quite reached it yet. We haven't really got to that place where, I don't know, we're just sort of satisfied with ourselves, with life. You guys know what I'm talking about? Two of you. All right, two people here have not reached it yet. So the rest of you, I'm not talking to you today. <laughs> But, but if we're honest, there, there's something that just seems 
unsettled. It seems like we haven't reached there. Many of us are unhappy about ourselves or our spiritual state in life. Some of us feel good with where we're at, but we know that it could be better. And ultimately, whether we're new to following Jesus, whether we're here and we're still trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and what it means to follow him, or whether you've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, ultimately, many of us really have been looking at this in the wrong way. Because more often than not, regardless of our spiritual maturity level, more often than not, whether we care to admit it, what we really want most in life is to be happy and blessed. If it comes down to it, most often what we'd say is, I just, I just want to be happy. I just want to be blessed. I want God to provide for me. I want to be happy. And there's all kinds of movements in Christianity dedicated to finding our happiness and our blessing. A lot of movements. In the early 2000s, if you've been around church for any length of time, there was a book entitled The Prayer of Jabez. You might remember this, and it essentially took one scripture in the Bible about a guy who prayed for God to bless him and expand his territory, and it said, all that you need for God to bless you and expand your territory and to give you more stuff is to pray this prayer. This is the secret to unlocking all happiness, all blessing from God, is to pray this one prayer. Do it with some degree of faith. It's similar to the name it and claim it, a prosperity theology that says God wants you to be wealthy and prosperous. In fact, if you're not wealthy and prosperous, then something must be wrong. We just need to believe enough and prosperity, wealth, success, and more will come to us. Unfortunately, this is not seen in scripture, but there are churches who are absolutely dedicated to that. I have an acquaintance who's a pastor of a prosperity doctrine church. And every year, the church, in order to show that God's favor is on the church, they lease him a brand new Corvette just to show that God's favor is on the church. Now, I'm absolutely against that. If it were a Harley Davidson, then, you know, maybe. <laughs> Elders, were, I'm just suggesting, I'm not, okay, I'm, never mind. <laughs> but here in this sermon, I'm joking. In case anybody wasn't. Sure, I would take a used Harley Davis. It doesn't have to be new. So, anyway. But here in this sermon, Jesus is completely redefining and I think more accurately correcting our understanding of what's important in his kingdom. I think that he is, he's trying to take the ideas of, of this is what we thought the kingdom of God was all about and rip that out of our lives and replace it with something that is so radically different than our natural thinking, our natural abilities, the, the ways that we would naturally look at something. I think this is what is so shocking about Jesus' teaching both then and now. And so I believe Jesus said what he said in the order he said it on purpose. If you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. That true happiness is only found in seeking true righteousness. That true happiness is only found in seeking true righteousness. Jesus didn't say, hunger and thirst for happiness and you'll find it. He didn't say, hunger and thirst for blessedness and you'll find it. But somehow, these things, care to admit it or not, seem to be some of our deepest desires and motivations. For those of us who have pursued those, we can never quite hold on to those things. We may get them temporarily, but, but something comes up. It's kind of interesting. Uh, my wife and I used to live in Hawaii. And it was, it was funny. People used to say, oh my gosh, you guys live in Hawaii. That's incredible. But you know what people in Hawaii do to take vacation? They leave Hawaii. 
They go to Vegas. Specifically Circus Circus. I'm not sure what's up with that, but that's where everybody goes from Hawaii, right? I, I lived in San Diego. You know what people in San Diego do to go on vacation? They come to LA. Okay, they don't come to LA, but they go someplace other than San Diego, right? They go to Disneyland, whatever it is. It, it's really interesting when we find that thing, we think this is it. And you move into that place. What you find is that then you have to bring your work there. You bring your family problems there. You bring life there and it's no longer a vacation spot. It's, it's just where you live. And in, in the same way, the ways that we look at this happiness or blessedness, we try to move into those spots and we go, if I just had this, if I just achieved this, if I just became this person, I get into this spot, then that will be it for me. And we move in there and we bring life with us. One of my favorite bands is Social Distortion. And Mike Ness says, wherever you go, you still find yourself there. And it's, it's true. The scripture never says that happiness is something that we should seek directly because both happiness and blessedness are always the result of seeking something else. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, speaking of happiness and blessedness, he says, they, did not, they do not find it because whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you will be doomed to misery. Whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you will be doomed to misery. How many of you have been in pain before? I mean, serious pain before. Some of you, I see you're nodding your head. Some of you guys have chronic pain. You know what I'm talking about. Um, usually I'm pretty good with pain, actually. And this is weird. I have a weird response to pain. I usually laugh, uh, but you know it's really serious when I just get silent, right? It takes a lot to shut me up. Pain is one of those things. Uh, but when I'm quiet, then that's some pretty serious pain. The worst pain that I've experienced was a kidney stone. That, that was definitely, um, that, was, uh, that was the only time I ever threw up from pain. That was, that was quite an experience. I've had a couple of them. I don't recommend it. If you haven't experienced, try not to. But here's the deal. The pain was not the problem. The kidney stone was the problem, right? The pain was not the problem. The kidney stone was the problem. If I chop off my arm and the doctor says, wow, that looks like it hurts. Here's some Motrin. Now please stop bleeding on my floor. I'm probably going to die because the pain isn't the problem. The, the, the lack of appendage and not stopping the bleeding is the problem, right? I'm going to die and probably so is the doctor, but that's another issue. If I don't address the reason for the pain, then we're not addressing the real problem. In the same way, we find ourselves so often unhappy. And we don't want to feel that way. So we try all kinds of coping mechanisms to try and get rid of those symptoms. We try control. We turn to eating or shopping or porn or escapism or drugs or alcohol or blaming everybody around us for the issues and not dealing with our own hurts, habits, and hangups. Ultimately, however, those things are all like Motrin. They are only temporarily relief the problem. They don't deal with anything in reality. They don't solve the issue that's truly at hand. Happiness is like pain. It's a symptom of something deeper and not the issue itself. And so when we're trying to seek happiness or blessedness in itself, we're actually not seeking after the root cause of those things. It's like trying to address the pain and not the root cause of the pain. The real issue is righteousness. 
righteousness. See, we're not made to hunger and thirst after experiences. Think about that for a moment. We're not made to hunger and thirst after experiences. Now, we are absolutely meant to experience. To experience God, to experience nature, to experience each other. So what am I talking about? Talking about when we try to fill ourselves with happiness or blessedness through experiences or status in life or success or prosperity, we miss the very thing that does make us happy and blessed, righteousness. So often we can even do that in a Christian sense where we can seek after the experiences of God and miss God himself. We try to worship the experience of God and we miss God himself. So what is righteousness? Let me start with what righteousness is not. Righteousness isn't right living. It's not morality or just trying to be good. Righteousness isn't something that we can attain on our own. Righteousness is a right standing before God. It's a freedom from sin in all of its shapes and forms. The things that we try to do to get happy and blessed, right? That control, the eating, the shopping, the porn, the escapism, the drugs, alcohol, blaming everybody around us. It's a freedom from that sin. Righteousness is holiness, which means consecrated. It means pure and right and good and set apart for God's use. Jesus is saying, if we want to be happy, if we want to be blessed, then we're to hunger and thirst after righteousness and we'll be filled or satisfied. That's the thing that we're looking for, righteousness. There's this great scene in the movie, The Matrix. That's my favorite movie. I know you were all wondering, but... Uh, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a cool sci-fi way to look at some of the tenets of Christianity. And in, in the movie, the main character, Neo, is approached by a mysterious character named Trinity. And she says this to Neo. She says, I know why you're here, Neo. I know what you've been doing, why you hardly sleep, why you live alone, and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neil. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. Just like Neil, we subconsciously know that something isn't right. We're born with this, this understanding somehow that the world is not in its right place, that things are not the way that they're intended to be. And we were created to be in a perfect, healthy relationship with God and with others. And we rejected God's calling and plan for our lives. We rebelled against him. And that sin, that rebellion against him caused uh, uh, the relationships to to break between God and mankind, between humans and each other, and between us and the earth. It doesn't take incredible observation skills to see how broken those relationships are between us and God, between us and and each other, and definitely between us and the world around us. We've messed things up pretty good. The Bible says that all creation groans under the weight of sin and the effects that it's had. And so that missing piece deep down each of us is this hope, this desire, this dream, this sense of, I can't wait for things to be made right. I'm longing for these things to be put back right. 
And all of us have that, whether we're followers of Jesus or not. This is why all of us, in some sense, are searching for something. We're searching for something to be made right. All of us have it because we were created by God and were separated from God until Jesus made a way for reconciliation possible. If you're taking notes today, this is the second observation for the day. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire holiness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to desire holiness. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? I love the language the Bible uses in this, to hunger and thirst. You know that rumbling feeling you get right about now in the sermon that somehow demands Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, dang, this is what I really want. Oh yeah, I forgot, it's Sunday, can't have it. That feeling of being hungry or thirsty grows and now I've just fed it, right? You're like, dang it, thanks for bringing that up. Now I want Chick-fil-A. And it grows and grows and it actually begins to impact not just our, our, our temporary thoughts, but it begins to be all that we can think about. And, and, and eventually when we're hungry and thirsty enough, it actually consumes our actions. It demands satisfaction. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is, is not a passing feeling, a passing desire. To hunger and thirst is to long after something, to be consumed by it, even to be defined by it. It hurts like real hunger and thirst. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this us? Do we hunger and thirst? Do we truly recognize how painfully deep our need for Jesus is? Do we desire him in a way that's like physically hunger and thirsting for Jesus? Do we feel desperate to be holy? King David describes this place, this state of being in Psalm 42, 1 to 2. He says, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? This is what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so Jesus says, if we want to be happy and blessed, stop trying to be happy and blessed and be consumed by the desire, the longing for holiness. Crave freedom from its sin and desires. Be desperate for the fruit of the Spirit of God to pour out from your life, into your life, and out of your life. Desire to be the person that God has already declared us to be as followers of Jesus, who are made right and good, consecrated and set apart for God's use. Remember, we can't do this in our own power that's being poor in spirit. So Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be happy and blessed, just work harder to be holy. He says, rest in me, seek me, desire me, spend time with me, be with me. Your hope will be fulfilled in Jesus. Your desire will be fulfilled in Jesus. Your longing will be answered in Jesus and you will ultimately find happiness and blessedness as the outcomes of a heart that you have for righteousness. Ultimately, this is the story of the gospel. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our third and final observation for the day. We have been saved. We will be saved. I'm sorry, we have been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. The Bible says with Jesus' death and resurrection, as those devoted to him, we are justified. That means the penalty for our sin has been paid and we owe nothing else. This is why we no longer need to carry around any good deeds to try to earn favor with God. Jesus paid that price for us. Trying to earn favor with God is like trying to buy a house here in LA with Monopoly money. 
it's really cute when your kids do it, but it, they get really weird looks when you go into the bank with it yourself. But it's also the reason we don't need to keep trying to pay for our sin. It's been paid for in blood. Jesus took our punishments on himself. And so they don't need to be paid again. We have been saved, but there's more. He's sanctifying us. That's the Christianese word, meaning that he's continually working in us to make us look more like Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, we are inevitably changed. We can't help it. God has promised to be working in our lives continually, to never leave us or forsake us, to be our strength and our shelter as he works in us. When we become apprentices of Jesus, we're justified, and then day by day, we're sanctified. And one day, Jesus will return and restore all things to the way God originally intended them to be. He will finally and permanently rescue and renew all creation through Jesus' work on the cross. We have been saved, we're being saved and we will be saved. This is our hope. We can be happy. We can be blessed. God definitely wants us to have those things in him. If you want to know more what that means, what that's all about, if you want to know more what it means to follow Jesus or you want to take the next step and be baptized, we are having a baptism come up soon. We'd love for you to see an elder, see myself, after the service or follow the link posted online by our Story City account. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But today we're going to continue to worship by moving into a time of communion. And this is, I think, so appropriate that we're talking about hungering and thirsting for Jesus because Jesus said that <laughs> he described it as, as, as eating my flesh and drinking my blood and that sounds gross and but really it's about participating in who he is and seeking after him in a way that is, is all consuming of him and, and, and recognizing that we are found inside of him. The Bible says that when Jesus uh, died on the cross and, and rose from the dead, that we who are followers of him are, are wrapped up in his righteousness. It's like being in a book and, and you place us in the center and you close the book. It's like we are now found in Jesus in that same way. And, and the father looks at us with Jesus's righteousness. And so we, as we take communion, are, are hungering and thirsting for him. Now, this is a 2,000-year-old tradition that Jesus himself uh, asked us to do. It's an ordinance of Jesus. He left us two ordinances to, to continue to baptize and to take communion. And so this is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are apprentices of Jesus. Not a problem if you are not yet in that place. Um, we love you. We would just encourage you not to take communion this morning. It's not a big deal. It's just this is something that is participating in the life and death of Jesus and reminding us of that place. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, just, just don't take it. It's not a big deal. No one will notice that you're not doing it. For the rest of us, I would say let's take this moment and ask ourselves, what do we want most in life? And if there's any part of our life that isn't hungering and thirsting for Jesus to the utmost, then let's confess that this morning as we take communion. And let's, a let's ask Jesus to continue to bring those things up in us as we follow him this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you that we don't have to be enough, that you are enough. And Father, as we take these symbols of you, the 
the juice representing your blood. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins and the body that was broken for us that gave us a way to be reconciled to the Father. We acknowledge that we could not have done that on our own. We thank you and praise you for you are truly good. Help us to hunger and thirst for you in the name of Jesus.